Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here this morning. Having a good summer so far? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, we are um, finishing out uh, um, the uh, talk from last week on rebuilding the walls. You can't rebuild what you can't build what your heart doesn't possess. And uh, um, we're going to talk about today uh, the importance of uh, what it takes to move from an idea to actually seeing that changed in your life. Um, and so before we uh, go into that, I'd like to just uh, bow for a word of prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide as we dive into his word this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, for, for just the worship time we had um, this morning. Lord, we understand that you're the one that makes us brave. You're the one that causes us to face the waves of adversity and the challenges of life. And, and we face that in the power and the, and the strength of who you are. And uh, Lord, we need you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak uh, through me today. As we look at Nehemiah chapter 2 um, and look at the phase of what it means to really make the change in, in our lives. And Father, I pray and, uh, that our eyes and our hearts and our ears would be open to the power of uh, what you've done through a man named Nehemiah and what you want to do in our lives as we look at the rubble and uh, look what it takes to rebuild that which um, has fallen apart in our lives and broken down. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, a group of researchers called the Evergreen Project put 160 companies under the microscope to answer two questions. The first question was, why do some companies consistently outperform their competitors? And the second question was, what strategies and tactics recommended by management and experts actually really made a difference in their company? And the researchers studied the performance of these 160 companies for 10 years. A 10-year period where they uh, where they studied it, and what they discovered surprised everybody. You see, how a company was organized and uh, the software they used, the systems they developed, and the things that the experts and consultants focused on, over the long haul made very little difference in how the company performed. The difference between the top performers and everybody else came down to the very fact that there was concrete action. They were actually doing what they said they would do. It didn't matter what the plan was. What mattered was the plan was implemented from top to bottom. And everybody bought into the direction the company was going and they did their job according to the overall plan. You see, the game changer between the companies, the competitors that outperformed the others 
was the very fact that the people believed, the employees believed everything about what this company believed in. And they lived it out, and they did it. And the game changer between uh, good ideas which were implemented don't necessarily make a great company. And this is true of people too. When all is said and done, in reality, when all is said and done, a lot more is said than done, right? You ever found that out for yourself? How you've said that you're going to do a lot of things and you're going to change a lot of things in your life. You're going to work on your prayer life and you, you knew that your prayer life needed to be stronger and you talk about how important prayer life is, but a lot more is said than actually done. Or maybe your quiet time. A lot more is said about that the importance of quiet time than actually doing it. Having your cave time and your time alone with God. A lot more is said than done. A lot more is said than done when it comes to how to make right choices and do right things. Jesus warned his disciples about a game changer principle. And he said to his disciples in Matthew 23, verse 2 and 3, he talked to them and, and he said, if you want to, I just want you to know that there are religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes, but I, but I want you to know that there is a difference between, I'm the game changer between what they do and what it means to be a follower of me. That there's a principle that needs to be in place. And in Matthew chapter 23, Verse 2 and 3, Jesus says this. I'll get to it. Bear with me. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, He says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They, in other words, they sit there and they study the law of Moses and they help you understand how to, to live that out. And then he says to the disciples, now, so do and observe whatever they tell you. And then there's a three-letter word, but, not the works they do. So in other words, he says, do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. For they preach and do not practice what they preach. That is pretty much the human condition, isn't it? I know that is for me. Our problem isn't always knowing the right thing to do. It's doing the right thing. Our problem isn't actually always knowing what the right thing that it is that we need to do, but actually following our own spiritual advice. Have you ever, have you ever given advice to someone, some spiritual advice to someone? And you said, this is what I think you should do spiritually in your life. And as you're, as you're telling this person what you need to do, you're thinking, yeah, I probably need to do that myself. Anybody out there? One, two of you. All right, it's good to have support out there. You see, Jerusalem is in ruins here. And last week we talked about how 
they became in ruins because they decided to do things their own way. They decided that when the walls were built, God says, I, I give you this city, you build the walls, you build the temple. Now, th this city will prosper and this city will be a blessing to many, many people as long as you follow my principles. But then is the Jewish people decided that they would determine what they would obey and what they wouldn't. And left them vulnerable, and the, and the enemy attacked them and destroyed the walls and the temple. And they were left off into captivity, and they were held into bondage to their, to their own self-centered ways. And for 140 to 160 years, the people, the Jewish people went back to Jerusalem, and they were satisfied with living amongst the rubble. Oh, they rebuilt the temple. But the walls, they did not, they tried to rebuild, they got discouraged, and they didn't uh, uh, finish them, and they just left everything in the rubble. And the question we needed to ask ourselves in chapter 1 was, how is my Jerusalem? Where have I come to a point where in my own life I have decided that I, I don't need to work on this area of my spiritual life, I'm satisfied with living in the rubble? Because it's just too hard. And so, Nehemiah gets impacted greatly when these group of buddies, his brother and some buddies, tell him about what happens in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is impacted in a powerful way. And he goes into prayer and he worships God and he worships who God is. And then he, he confesses his part in the role and the play of what happened in Jerusalem. And the very fact that he himself became very complacent and satisfied with the people living in the rubble themselves. And he confesses that to God. And he says, and he feels that God is nudging him and tapping him on the shoulder and saying, I want you to be the one that is the game changer. I want you to be the one that goes out and, and challenges the people to build the walls. So chapter 1 is the reality. It's the idea. So, so Nehemiah has this idea that, that God's going to call him to build the walls. In chapter 3, if we, if we jump to chapter 3, we actually see the wall-building project begin. It's actually happening. But in chapter 2, it's critical for us to understand the principles in chapter 1 and 2 lay the, the groundwork for what it means to actually apply this to our lives and to actually not only have it as an idea that this is what we need to do to build into our lives, but actually putting it into work and having it happen. So chapter 2 is the game changer chapter. It's the one that, that turns the course of where the Jewish people are going. It's the one that changes the course of Nehemiah's life and changes the course of what happens in Jerusalem. It's the game changer. It's the one where all of a sudden there's a shift of momentum happening. No longer is the enemy holding them in oppressive ways, but now all of a sudden they're breaking through. You see, our problem isn't always isn't knowing the right thing to do. It's actually doing the right thing. I know that's my problem. And I can study the Word of God and I can, 
I can understand the principles of the Word of God. I can, I can be that very person, that religious person that Jesus talks about in Matthew 23, where I know what the Word of God says, and I can talk about how it applies to life, but how well am I doing it myself? I know the right thing to do, but am I doing the right thing? And I want to give you some principles of what that's going to take to make that happen in our lives. And I want you to know that I'm preaching just as much to myself this morning as I'm preaching to anybody else. And the first game-changer principle that I believe Nehemiah demonstrates for us is prayerful dependence on our God. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, As soon as he heard these words, as soon as he heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, it's easy to look at that and, de and decide that maybe he just did that one night, okay? Have you ever been just kind of moved and stirred, and your heart's been kind of stirred a little bit, and you, you've been broken, and you, you've been moved one night, and then you just kind of go back to your old ways? But that's not what happens to Nehemiah here. Nehemiah has been praying this over and over and over for probably four months. And we get an indicator of that because in Nehemiah chapter 1, it said that uh, it says it happened in the month of Chislev, which in the Persian calendar, in our calendar, it would be like the months of anywhere, somewhere between November and December that this all started. So Nehemiah gets word of this around November and December. And then in chapter 2, it says, And in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. And that's about the months of March and April. So we're looking at about four months of time where, where Nehemiah's heart has been broken and he's been praying about what God wants him to do in Jerusalem. And he starts praying and, and leaning into God about what this is all about. You see, time in prayer prepares your heart. And four months of praying prepared the heart of Nehemiah. You know, our tendency is to rush into the situation, isn't it? Our tendency is to, to look at a problem and then we want to right away move into engagement of how to fix the problem. But we, the last thing we want to do, and, and I don't know if you've ever said this, well, I've tried all these things, then I finally decided that I would just what? Pray. And Nehemiah describes to us before he even decided to, to do anything along that line, that he spent time in prayer, in humbleness before his God, and said, God, what is it that you want me to do? Have you ever felt that you have so much to do in a day when you wake up in the morning that you say, you know what, I, I'm just going to have to cut the prayer time short today? Or it maybe, have you ever, during your prayer time, and you're kind of conversing and talking to God, but at the same time in your head, you're thinking of the checklist that you have for the day. And then you realize that you're not fully engaged in your conversation with God. Because all of a sudden, all you're thinking about is all the things that you want to check off. That's not prayerful dependence. 
That's going through the motions of a religious person. Peripheral dependence is saying, I can't go through this day without you, O oh God. Peripheral dependence is saying, I have no capacity to take care of that which is before me until I come and I spend some time with you. That's peripheral dependence. And time and prayerful dependence moves us from paralyzing fear to obedient action. You see, we come to chapter 2, and, and Nehemiah appears before the king, and the king notices that there's something that, that has changed in Nehemiah's life. And, and, and the king kind of speaks out to it, and he says, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is not, nothing but sadness of the heart. King Artaxerxes says, there's something that's troubling you. And then it says, the next phrase describes Nehemiah, what's, what's going on. Right after the king says this, what happens with Nehemiah? It says, then I was very much afraid. Sometimes we get paralyzed by our fear. And sometimes when someone approaches uh, something about our lives, we get fearful and we want to cover that up. And Nehemiah says, and I was very much afraid. And then what does he do? He, he says, this is what's going on in my life. So he steps into the very thing that as he's going to share this with the king, risking his life. And then the king said to him in verse 4, I love this. What are you requesting? Oh, boy. Now it's a call to action, right? Now it's a call to action. And Nehemiah says this. He goes, what are you, what are you requesting? And it says, so I pray to the God of heaven. It's kind of like, oh, God, this is it. I'm, I'm scared spitless right now. I mean, my life could be just wiped out right now. So I'm praying to you, God. I'm depending on you. And I pray to the God of heaven. And then, look what happens. He goes from paralyzing fear to obedient action. And, and his prayer, as it's working in his heart, he starts seeing a change in his life. And, the, and, and he says, he starts praying to God, and then he starts sharing with the king what he would like to have done. Very risky. But see, when God change, calls us to change in our life, he's going to call us to do something that is very risky, that we're not used to doing before, that's going to call us to step out and to trust him. And Nehemiah had to step out and to trust him. But if it wasn't for his prayer life of dependence on God, he, wasn't, he wouldn't be able to step out because fear would paralyze him. And guys... And ladies, I believe that there are times in my own life that fear paralyzes me. And I submit to the fear of, of being paralyzed rather than to submit to God in prayer and humbly trust Him and then to step out in faith. And then he recognized the work of God's hand. Look at verse, the end of verse 8. He not only requested to go and to build, but in his request, he said, by the way, King, can I, can I have you write some letters that gives me permission to travel into this land? And not only that, 
can I ask one? He's kind of like, can I ask one more thing? He's kind of pushing it a little bit. And he's saying, you know, the king that owns all the, the forest land there, all the timber, could you kind of grant permission that I could go in there and have as much timber as I want so I could rebuild the walls? And it says, and the king granted me what I had asked. And then this is the testimony of a, a life of a, a dependent prayer of God. For the good hand of my God was upon me. He knew it was the answered prayer. How is your prayer life? Is your prayer life a prayerful dependence on God? Are you responding and living your life in fear, which is only causing you to be paralyzed and live for the safety zone? Or are you willing to step out and trust God and say, okay, God, your word says this. I, don't, I know I can't do this in my own effort. And I need your help. I need your help to be able to forgive someone. I need your help to be able to love someone that I'm having a difficult time loving. I need your help in being able to, to uh, share the gospel. I need your help to be able to speak truth to someone. I need your help after someone spoke truth to me that I need to be able to change something in my life. God, I need your help because I can't do this myself. And Nehemiah knew that. Principle number two is this, get a proper perspective. Get a proper perspective. He had a prayerful, dependent life on God, and he trusted God with all the big, major things that it was beyond Nehemiah to do in and of himself. But then he travels to, from Susa, which is Iran, all the way to Jerusalem, which is 900 miles. In the first service, I said it took four days. That's wrong. It took four months. Okay? Took him four months of traveling from Iran to, to Jerusalem. And he travels. And he gets there, and it says in verse 11, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I rose in the night, and I love this phrase, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And I went out by night in the valley gate of the dragon spring and the, and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem, and they were broken down, and the gates that had been destroyed by fire. And he went through all of them, and he, and he, and he walked through the rubble. But the key piece that really spoke to me is that Nehemiah could have gone out by himself, but no, he chose a few men to go with him to help him walk through the rubble and to be able to help him to evaluate the condition of the rubble that he was going through. You see, we need to have a few people. We need to be able to speak to a few people and say, would you walk with me? I've got some rubble in my life. I got some things that are happening in my life, and I want to work on these areas in my life spiritually, but I can't do this alone. And we, we find a few people, and we say, you know what, I'm, I'm having a battle trying to, to get the victory in this area, and we humble ourselves and be willing to say, would you walk with the rubble with me? And I'll allow you to speak into my life the areas that I need to work with the rubble. You see, that's why we have life coaches here. 
That's why we have life coaches that all of a sudden, you know, you're going through a tough process in your life. If you're at a place where, where you don't know how to make decisions and, and, and things just seem overwhelming to you, you come here and we say, you know what, we got a life coach that will walk through the rubble with you in life and will journey with you and help you to know how to rebuild that. Or maybe you have an issue in your life that you say, you know what, I, I just... I just have an area in my life that I just hit this over, over and over again. It may be an addiction or it just may be a, a, a wall that I keep hitting in my life that I keep falling back into. And we say to them, you know what, how about our three? How about our three? There's a few people there that will be able to surround you and encourage you to help be able to rebuild that in your life and to find a way to work through that. What about a life group? Where a life group is not only just sitting there and, and be, become biblical scholars, but that you really talk about what it is to really live out your Christian life on a daily basis. And you're being willing to be vulnerable enough in your life group to be able to say, I need help in this area in my life. I'm struggling and I'm battling. And that few people come around you and pray for you and hold you up and give you direction and, and encourage you to help work through the rubble in your life. You see, most of us don't do that because it's difficult. It's difficult for two reasons. It's difficult because reason number one, uh, we're fearful. We're fearful. We're afraid if we let someone know, we're afraid of what they're going to think of us. We're afraid to actually, it has to deal a lot with pride, personally. Pride really gets in the way of us being able to ask a few men to come into our lives and to speak about areas in our lives, men, that we need to be better at in our spiritual journey. Ladies, pride gets in the way of you being able to be open and honest with a group of other women to be able to talk about how you can build something into your spiritual life. Because we, we, we let fear paralyze us, and therefore we never ask anybody to come in and walk in the rubble with us. Because we want to act like we all have it together. And we do a great job of trying to act like we all have it together. But if we're just walking around and if we, if we could have an x-ray that would just show us how together we are, we, that x-ray would show that every one of us has brokenness inside of us. We're all broken. And it's time that we be able to say to one another, hey, I'm broken, and would you come along? I'm not going to let fear paralyze me anymore. I want to break through the fear, but I'm going to need a few people around me. And you know what the second area that makes it so difficult is that we're just spiritually lazy by nature. Spiritually lazy. Because we don't want to have to do the work. Because if we ask someone else to kind of speak into our life, that means that now we've got to know uh, we have a plan, and now we've got to start working that plan. And that person's going to call us out and say, hey, how are you doing with that? You know, we don't want that. We'd rather be spiritually lazy. We'd rather be satisfied with the rubble of life that we're in and say, you know what, this is just the way it is, and I'm pretty happy with that. You see, one of the things about accountability is this. We get accountability all wrong. Accountability is being able to call someone up 
when you are battling with, with a pressure in your life. Accountability is not coming only to just tell someone uh, that you confess that you blew it. And the person says, well, I'm sorry that you blew it. Believe me, Jesus died on the cross and his grace covers all that. And let's just see if we could try to do better next week. That's part of it. But real victory comes is when we're able to be real and, and not live in fear and not be lazy about it and be able to call someone when we first start feeling like we're under attack. And we call our brothers and sisters around our lives and say, right now I'm discouraged, I need help. And not wait till our discouragement has caused us to make a wrong decision. You see, I love an illustration of a weight room. A weight room. And I'm sorry, ladies, that this is kind of a, a guy illustration here, but I think it'll come across to you, okay, for all of us. In a football team, they have, they have these weight rooms, and they, and, they, and they work, and they pump themselves up. But there's a time where all of a sudden, each, each player has a moment when they're going to they're gonna max out. They're going to say, you know, I've lifted so much. I've lifted 450 pounds. I'm going to go for 500. I've never done it before. And he's going to max out. And when he says to all of his buddies, he says, I'm going to press 500. I'm going to, I'm going to try to beat this. I've never beat it before. It's always beat me, but this time I need it. And so what he does is he calls his buddies, and they all come around him, and they cheer him on. And that's what we need to do. Look at this, this clip, this clip that describes what exactly happens. And when you watch this clip, watch all the buddies that stand in around and watch how they are, they are just in it with that person and they want that person to win it and they want that person to, to get that weight off of themselves. Watch this. Watch the guy in the back. That's right. I love that. I love that when we are facing the battles of life and, and, the, and the issues in life that are just this big weight in us and it, and it dominates us and we call other brothers and sisters around and say, I want to, I want to, Beat this thing, but I want to beat it in Christ, but I'm going to need you, brothers and sisters, to be there to help me. And we rally around and we, ah! We don't lift it for them. You didn't see one of those guys lifting it for him. But each guy was in, in, deeply in, engrossed in it, and they were just, they were, oh, they were emotionally attached, saying, you can do it. You can do it. We need to have others around us. Proverbs 18.1 says this. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. We can't do it alone. We can't do it alone, brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. In fact, I'm going to share with you just briefly here. About two weeks ago, I was just struggling. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. I was frustrated with myself. 
I was frustrated with things in my life, and I knew that if I stayed the course with this, that I was going to go down the wrong path. And so I reached out to two or three of my few men, and I said, would you pray for me? This is what's going on, and I'm discouraged, and I'm frustrated. And here's the response back, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I'm just going to read what they said. Just saw this praying for you right now, brother. Praying for you, brother. I know you're frustrated and discouraged, but God is for you, not against you. He's going to use this to make you a stronger husband and a man of God. Draw into him, brother. You see, that's, that's rallying around when you're, when you're overwhelmed by the weight, and you reach out, and then you reach back, and you say, you know what? You can do it in Christ. Come on. It's going to make you a better man. And then he closes out and he says, praise God, he is moving in your heart and life. This is sanctification and this is evidence of sonship. You are his son and he loves you. He is not a derelict father. Wow. He will take care of his kids. What an encouragement that is. And sometimes we need to get the proper perspective. And we need to allow others to get that proper perspective. And we need to reach out at the right moment and allow them to speak into us. I need to move on here. Principle number number three is preparation for opposition. I want you to know this. When change starts happening in your life, and you start seeing change happening, and you start seeing God changing your heart, I want you to know what happens. God becomes glorified in that change. God becomes glorified... And then when God becomes glorified, others around you start becoming edified, okay? They start getting built up. And then as they become edified and, and they start growing and building, the world becomes mystified and they start wondering, what is going on there? And when the world gets mystified, the enemy gets notified. <laughs> and the enemy says, I've got to change the momentum here. His life is starting to change, and so what he will do, he will try to do things to try to neutralize. So when life change starts happening for you, and you're on a spiritual journey of a good path, don't be surprised that the enemy is going to try to neutralize you. Just like it happened with Nehemiah. Listen to Jared's testimony here this morning. Sometime. I'm Jared Nikavich, and uh, I would say one of the big ways that God really kind of opened my eyes to needing to change was through a broken relationship, and then through that, like, that's kind of what he used to draw me in. It's like it was one of those deals where he had had stability here for so long that you didn't have to change. You were just comfortable. Yeah, you knew in the back of your mind, hey, you need to work on these things. But it was just me. Like, I knew it. I didn't have anybody else I was talking to about it. I just, I was trying to do it on my own. Like, I'm a man. I'm going to take care of this. And I would do it on my own, but then with nobody to hold you accountable or nothing like that, it, it, you'd fail every time. And then through that relationship falling through, it was like your foundation broke. And... That's when it was, it just completely made known to me. He has to be the foundation, and you can't do this on your own. 
and through getting into his word consistently, I just started seeing how he, he was growing me and then he'd bring people into my life to help me grow and to help keep me accountable. And it was good for about a year like that. I had Christian friends and so we could all talk and work together, but it was just, I was starting to feel like I needed more. I needed more accountability. I needed, you could have a handful of friends, but you strengthen numbers, get more. And uh, the one area I was really missing was somebody that was higher up that I could, that could help pull me up, that could pour into me. And uh, where that really, uh, opened up was through Forge. I wanted a group of men that I could talk to about the problems that I had and the areas I needed to work on and that could be there as, well, I, I've, I've been there. I know what it's like, like older, wiser men who can say like, I've been in your situation and I can help you out there. And yeah, the enemy comes in there and he tries to say like, this isn't who you are, like this is what you used to be. Like, what are you doing? And a lot of it, you have to make, like, I had to just make time. You know, you can keep yourself busy in a day without having any plans to start today. You can just keep yourself busy and putting stuff off. And now with this, you have to, like, pencil it in, otherwise you won't do it. And that's where those challenges came in. Is like, yep, it worked out for that day. Like, yep, I was able to show up. I wasn't doing anything. But then it's like instantly, now you're busy. Now you have every reason in the book not to show up, not to go. And it was just... A blessing that the Lord really put it on my heart and made a commitment like that's the major thing I did was pray like you know Lord I just don't I'm feeling a little uneasy about this and I know I shouldn't like this is something that is brings you honor and glory like just align my heart with your will and what you want me to do here mm. and he answered that sometimes quicker than you expect it kind of like takes you back like whoa that was a really quick change but that's just how he works amen. he is great amen you see, we need to know our adversary. First Peter 5, 8, it says, he says um, that we need to watch our adversary for he roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That word adversary in 1 Peter 5, 8, that word adversary, the Greek meaning of that is prosecuting attorney. And the enemy himself will become that prosecuting attorney where he'll make you start believing things in the courtroom of your head that you're not able and capable. He's going to say, oh yeah, what about back then? Or, oh yeah, you think you can do that? I don't think so. And start getting you to doubt and question. And he will attack you from within and from without. There's going to be people from without that's going to say, you don't need to do that. And there's going to be those, those things from within that he's going to make you start questioning if you're really going to live your life dependent on God. And Nehemiah had three men, Gershom and Tobiah and Sambalat, who said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I want you to know that the enemy will try to intimidate from without to the broken culture. And you say it won't work for you. Or you won't want to share it with others because you want pride for yourself. And, you want, and he'll create fear and he'll start getting you to look within and start believing the false lies about who you are and who Christ is in you. And I love this very last part. And we'll close with this. Then I replied, 
I love Nehemiah's reply. He looked at Samballot and Tobiah and Gershom, these three individuals that were trying to get him off course, tried to intimidate him, tried to distract him, and he says to this, to them this, the God of heaven will make us prosper. So basically what Nehemiah is saying is this, I want you to know that prosperity is not dependent on me. If there's going to be anything good that's going to come out of this, it's the God of heaven. It's the God that has called me. It's the God that has redeemed me. It's the God that is restoring me. And it's the God that's going to restore these walls. So it's on God that he's going to do that. And then he says, but we, his servants, will arise and build. That's on us. We'll do our part, and we're going to trust God for his part. And then he looks at these three men. And I love what, and this is what we need to do to the enemy that throws these doubts in our heads and gets us to try to believe that this doesn't work for us. And then he turns to these three men and he says, you know what? You have no portion. You have no right. And you have no claim in my Jerusalem. And when we speak that out boldly to the words of the world, to the thoughts in our head, to the temptation of the enemy, and we say, you know what? In my Jerusalem, Jesus reigns. In my Jerusalem, Jesus rules. And you out there have no right, no portion, and no claim. And that's the game changer right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word, and thank you for the work of Nehemiah, powerfully showing to us what it takes to build into our lives. May we no, be no longer slaves to fear. God, I pray that we would remember who we are as God's children, and we would rise up and we would say to the enemy that tries to neutralize us, to intimidate us and to destroy us from ever making a change in our lives, that we would say, you know what? In my Jerusalem, Jesus reigns. And I'm going to rise up. I'm not going to be lazy anymore. I'm going to build and I'm going to trust God for the outcome. But as far as you're concerned, you have no right anymore. Get out of here. And when we walk in that kind of confidence, things start changing. Transformation starts happening. May we live in that today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.